Welcome to episode four of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie and producer, Johnny Pham. We are going to spend uh, the next couple of shows really diving deep on a handful of teams in, in each conference. We're going to start with the NFC this weekend, or this week, excuse me. We're going to pick one team that, that we think is interesting from each division. Um, we're going to have some buy or sell. We will get to that and more. But first, guys, we just had the unveiling of our draft order in, in our home fantasy league. I want to ask you guys, on a scale of 1 to 10, Dalton, I will start with you. You are picked number 9, 9 out of 12, 12-team 12 league. How are you feeling about that pick? I'm pretty happy with it. I think I was the ninth pick in the mock draft we did last episode, and I started out of the gate really strong. I got all the guys I wanted. got Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, James Conner, and Calvin Ridley, and Marquise Brown, and Evan Ingram, which really is a great start to a draft for me. I'm excited. The worst part about it is, as you guys know, I'm drafting right next to one of our league mates who well, plays yeah, a lot you, of mind you, games. I was going to say, you have to draft next to a league mate in every pick. That's how it works. <laughs> but uh, one of the worst league mates to draft next to is playing a lot of mind games, uh, Brian Clark, for those who don't know. Uh, so I'm not looking forward to that part of it. But other than that, I'm happy with where I landed. Johnny, you landed number eight. Uh, one spot ahead of Dalton. I feel like you could just, if you really wanted to make Dalton mad, just take his mock draft and take every player one spot ahead of him in this draft. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Dalton's probably pretty much going to be sandwiched in between the entire draft of, oh, you took my player. So I, I think me and Brian could probably team up and kind of like bully Dalton and <laughs> just being scrambling the whole time. So that's I think that's kind of our goal. We talked today. Uh, he texted me, and uh, we're going to have some plans for Dalton's uh, draft this year. <laughs> Johnny, on a scale of 1 to 10, Johnny, how are you feeling about, about the eighth pick? I, I do like eight more than the first pick so uh, i'll, I'll say that I, li I like eight way more <laughs> uh, i have the first overall pick and for anybody who has listened to the first three episodes or even the first episode you know that i have saquon barkley ahead of christian mccaffrey i was really hoping at the very least i get the second pick i wouldn't have to make that choice wouldn't have to put my money where my mouth is and i could just choose whoever second now i have to actually make that choice or trade out of it so not thrilled. I'm going to give that like a 4 out of 10 um, on the old 1 to 10 scale. I do think it's funny, though, Dalton. A lot of the guys that we've disagreed on, you know, Josh Jacobs, James Conner, I'm in a better position to draft James Conner, and you're in a better position to draft Josh Jacobs. So I think that's kind of funny. We could work out a deal later in the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, somehow I think if we both got those players, yeah, I think a deal would be almost inevitable by week four when we were both mad about <laughs> about the situation. But okay. Okay, we've got a lot to get to today, so we'll we'll move on. Um, we are going to talk about four NFC teams, uh, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Bears, and the Cowboys. Really kind of dig deep, just um, overall, just a look at the team, kind of our expectations, uh, and obviously break down the fantasy-relevant guys on, on those rosters. Before we get to that, though, just like last week, we are going to start with a little bit of buy or sell. Um, again, just, I thought it was a useful exercise to kind of put some numbers, some non rankings numbers next to, uh, these guys. And we will start Dalton. You picked him out this week. So I'll let you go first. We're going to start with Marvin Jones. Are you buying that Marvin Jones can get over 805 receiving yards? I'm taking this one to the house and buying this one. <laughs> okay. 
I did a little bit of a deep dive into Marvin Jones, and the more I look at the Lions' offense as a whole, the more I like their pass game. He played 13 games last season and had 779 yards. So if he played a fully healthy season, he would have had over 805 with sub-average quarterbacking. Additionally, some of those games he played in that 13-game span was without Stafford. That was four of them. In 2017, which was his last healthy season, he had 1,101 yards, which is well above what the books are putting him at. So really what this buy comes down to is if you're going to bet on Marvin Jones' health. And I get he's going to be 31 years old, so you have a bit of an injury concern. But I went to Sports Injury Predictor, and they put him at 1.3 games where they expect him to miss. So even if he misses those 1.3 games, you put him at a full 14 games with Stafford, and I don't think it's too difficult for him to hit the over of 805 yards. Okay, that's interesting that you're buying and you're buying with with such conviction. I thought I was going to buy uh, before I, I'm not going to say I dug deep into it quite like you, I guess, but I, I, I'm not looking up the injury predictors necessarily. But I, I did just do a little bit of research and I am going to sell here. You mentioned 13 games, the 779 yards. I worry about a couple things here. I worry, number one, you mentioned the injury. It was an ankle last year. For a guy that's approaching 30, you, you just you don't like the lower extremity injuries you worry about. And especially for me, the guys who, you know, they aren't stars, just like the good players when they kind of hit that age, when they're coming off injury, there's just some concern maybe that he doesn't come back the same guy. Maybe he's just his best days are behind him. And also the thing about Marvin Jones, even in maybe not his best year, but in his good years, uh, a lot of his yards come in like two or three games. He'll have the huge blow up games where nobody starts him. And that's where like 25% of, of his production comes from. And I just worry just in, if we're talking buy or sell, I have a hard time buying in a situation where really, I think it could come down to, you know, if he misses out on one huge game, I could see him going under. And really, I just think that Galladay could take up more of the the target share and and whatnot than in years past. So I'm going to sell. Interesting that we disagree so strongly right away. That is. I, I really thought you were going to be a buy there, too. Uh, I guess my only question is, do you really see Galladay gobbling up like a 13, 1400 yard season to take out? Marvin Jones from getting over 800. Yeah, I mean, I I could absolutely see that. I mean, I think Galladay was what was he around 1100 yards last year, and we we talked about the no Stafford thing, obviously with with Galladay last week. Um, and yeah, I I could see his volume going up, and I could just see a, a season where I mean, he he's a he can be a big play guy. I could see where he doesn't necessarily have to have the receptions to get up to that many yards. I I could see a year where he really takes a step forward, makes a lot of big plays. I'm not necessarily predicting it i think what's more likely is that hawkinson has himself a really nice year and really eats into that that target share you know maybe like 1200 for galladay and like 800 for for hawkinson something like that it's interesting to hear well i think this is one that i would take to the house so i I can't believe we disagree this big on it but we we can move on from it well okay johnny then you can be the tiebreaker here um who are you siding with are you are you buying marvin jones or selling marvin jones I am selling Marvin Jones. I, I just think his age, being a 31, lower extremity injury, I, I don't think he'll play 16 games this season. And I, I would say I'm a believer in Kenny Galladay of trying to grab more targets and receptions over Marvin Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then Adam Thielen, uh, over 84 receptions. I 
I'll start with this one. I'm actually going to buy that. And the reason why I was so specific on the guys coming back from injury, when it's the guys who are like the normal guys, that makes me a little more worried, kind of hitting that age. With Thielen, he's just, you know, quite frankly, he's just he's just better than that. He's kind of in that class of player where really I have to see him fall off and before I get too worked up, get too worried about that. He breezed past that number the previous two seasons before his injuries last year. I think he was like at 113 receptions two years ago in like 93 the year before that. Um, no Stefan Diggs this year. I'm not saying that like all those targets or even like half of those targets are going the feeling. That's not really how it works, but just to, I say that to make the point that he's the clear number one guy. They're not a pass every offense, but he will be the clear number one target in that offense. I, I think for as comfortable as you feel about the over with Marvin Jones, I feel here with Adam Thielen. Yeah, this is another one that I, I bought. Uh, and if out of the four we're going to talk about today, there was anyone I would take to the house and bet my bank account on, it's definitely this over-under. Uh, like you already said, he had 113 his last healthy season, and that was with Stefan Diggs, who sucked up 94 targets last year. We're going to play a quick name game with who he's competing for with targets other than Dalvin Cook. Jefferson, Tajay Sharp, Bissy Johnson, and Irv Smith. It's not a talented group of receivers we're going to see in Minnesota. I'm feeling pretty good about that. I, I, I think look, Jefferson could have a nice season, but yeah, I mean, it's not its not like he's competing with, with another star, at least yet, uh, over there. Absolutely. And I went ahead and checked out some other teams that you could compare this to, which is a, a high running offense with a low pass volume. And I think a good comp to what we could see is what Lockett did with uh, Seattle last year. And before his injury, he had 82 catches. So I don't think it's a big stretch to say that Adam Thielen gets over 84. And I could see a season where he ends up with 120 targets just because of the lack of talent in that offense. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Totally agree with you there. Johnny, got anything to add? Yeah, I agree with both of you guys that I want to buy this so much that we swing the 84 and a half up to like 86, 87 <laughs> receptions. Oh, so you can actually, are you, you going to actually go bet on this? I'm not saying I am or not. <laughs> But if we were to bet on this, it would swing very heavily after we place our bets. The books are going to be like, what do these guys know? And then kind of <laughs> lean towards like, I think by the time the season starts, it'll probably be like 87, 88 receptions online. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Uh, next guy, a guy near and dear to all of our hearts, Travis Kelsey. Dalton, are you buying that Travis Kelsey can catch more than seven touchdowns this year? It's interesting. He's not really ever been a high touchdown guy for the most part for as great as he is. I'm going to move out of Kansas City after these podcasts go public. I am selling this. So last season he had five, and the season prior he had 10 touchdowns. So this is really putting him right in between that. And this is really more of a gut feeling than anything else. Travis Kelsey's a great player, but there are a couple of things about the Chiefs offense that just scare me. There are so many mouths to feed, and first and foremost, more Mecole. I want to see Mecole Hardman all over the field next year, and the guy is a touchdown magnet when he touches the ball. I know I don't have him ranked high, but I think that CEH could be a great threat in the red zone, playing out of the backfield for Patrick Mahomes. And then last but not least, you're getting a full season of Tyreek Hill, who stretches the field. There are just so many mouths to feed that we'd have to have another 55-touchdown season from Mahomes to really see that uh, eight-touchdown over hit for Travis Kelsey. So I'm selling this one. Okay, so question, and I should have clarified this before the podcast, but it just came just came to me. Is this seven and a half touchdown number? Is this just receiving touchdowns? 
This is just receiving touchdowns. Okay. So no, no Travis Kelsey read options on the two yard line are going to put us over the top. Just wanted oh, to make sure. That excites me to think about though. <laughs> hey, you had one against the Patriots last year. But yeah, I'm selling. What about you? Are you going to take this or? Yeah. So I'm going to buy this. Um, like I mentioned before, it is a little surprising that he's not really ever been a high touchdown guy. It's a little hard to know what to read into that with Alex Smith being the guy the first couple of years. Obviously, just not as many touchdown passes thrown. But the only year he's gotten above this number would be in the 50 touchdown season. He had 10 touchdowns. But here's the thing. The upside just in that offense is basically unlimited. We know Kelsey's great. Mahomes is great. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, you you think back to the Texans game in the playoffs last year. He had three touchdowns. I'm just saying, Dalton, after week one, if he catches three touchdowns against the Texans again, you might really be behind a barrel on this one. But I just have to say that I feel like, you know, Different than Marvin Jones, where it's like you have the one or two big games. I think like every game you not that you count on it, but every game you feel like Travis Kelsey could have a two or three touchdown game like that. That could easily happen. So if he has one or two big games this year, then really he just has to have a a pretty normal season outside of that. And I think he's kind of the go to guy in the red zone if Mahomes is healthy all season. That's interesting. If I were just to give you a number, where would you put the Chiefs touchdown total for this year? Passing touchdown total? Passing touchdown. Uh, okay, so I was thinking about this while you were talking. My guess is Mahomes throws something like 40 to 42 touchdowns. I would give Tyree Kill 12 of those. I would give Travis Kelsey 10 of those. So that gives you, what, 20 for the next couple of guys. I give, you know, CEH three or four i'd give damien two or three and then after that you know you're getting into the watkins robinson um Nicole. i think just between those guys i feel pretty comfortable saying those guys probably won't account for more than like 12 to 15 touchdowns that's, that's my gut 12 that's touchdown season for tyreek would be huge yeah i mean i don't know i just i just feel like tyreek number one is kind of due for a bounce back season because even with mahomes last year he wasn't he wasn't great in the regular season and i don't know just in, in general you talk about the Chiefs. I mean, I just feel like the big plays honestly weren't there as much last year as you would have thought. I kind of think you're going to see a bounce back in in the big plays. And I like Hardman a lot, but I just I think he's going to be a better real life player than fantasy football player. What are you glaring at me for, Dalton? No, I agree with you entirely. Just last season with the Tyreek Hill injury, kind of feel like it's a shot at me <laughs> after I traded him four games in. Okay, fair enough. Um, I'm interested where you stand on this one because I know he's been a hot topic um, in the early draft discussions already in our league. Joe Mixon, are you buying that he can top 1,149? I guess it would be 1,150 rushing yards. I love Joe Mixon. I think the Bengals offense makes some strides forward, and I am buying this. Last year, Joe Mixon had... 100 or sorry 1137 rushing yards and the year before that he had 1168 so he was looking pretty good in two seasons last year their offensive line ranked 30th in the nfl in in rushing they get jonah williams back this year which is already going to be an improvement i think joe burrow is a player who can significantly improve what joe mixon is looking back they had the fifth highest stacked box percentage in the NFL last year. That means more than eight men were in the box when Joe Mixon was rushing the ball, and he still managed 1,137 yards. If Joe Mixon is just a minor improvement to the quarterbacking that the Bengals saw last year, he's going to have more open yards downfield, 
He's going to have the ability to get between the tackles and be elusive like he is. He's pro football focuses ninth most elusive back in the NFL. So I really see an improvement here. I could see Joe Mixon hitting 12 or 1300 rushing yards a lot easier this year. Um, he's done a lot worse with, or he's done a lot better with a lot worse. Yeah. So with the offensive line, I really don't know how much better it's going to be this year. It's hard to predict for a year-to-year -year basis on the offensive line anyway, but I am going to buy this for a lot of the reasons you said. You mentioned, obviously, he faced a lot of eight-man boxes with Burrow. I mean, Burrow could easily throw for 3,500 the 4,000 yards. Not saying he's going to, but that upside is there. So I, I feel like, at the very least, he's going to garner respect from defenses. I mean, the guy just had probably the best college season that we've ever seen quite frankly, number one. Um, but yeah, Pro Football Focus has that offensive line at preseason um, ranked 31st right now entering the season. So it's not like he's going to be running behind a great offensive line, we think. But even so, he reached, you mentioned, 1,137 yards last year. And that is with games of, are you ready for this? 10, 10, 2, and 17. Four games, those were rush, rushing totals last year. I mean, that's got to be like the bottom of the barrel of the floor, right? Like it can't pop. I don't think you could dream up a worse four game. And though that was not in a row, but that was all in the first half of the season. You can't dream up a worse four game stretch for him than that. A guy of that talent at the end of the year, it, it got a lot better. Weeks 11 through 17, he was the RB3 in half point scoring. He had 130 or more rushing yards in three of his last four games. So he definitely finished strong. I like him to pick up um, right where he left off, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree with all that. I did not know Joe Mixon had such a terrible start to the season last year. Yeah, That's like I said, it, it, it wasn't all in a row, but that all happened in the first nine weeks. And I definitely tried to trade for him in our league um, multiple times when, when that happened. And Justin, our, our league mate, was was very you know did not want to trade him because we you know justin he has never wanted to do a trade but i think after he had two rushing yards he texted me okay maybe time to talk about joe mixon and at that point i didn't think the rebound was coming like that i was like nope sorry but i think you missed your chance <laughs> oh. uh, but okay we can move on to um our teams here unless dalton you have anything you would like to add Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. So we ended up going a little bit long with the Seahawks and the Bears today. So what we're going to do, I know I said Seahawks, Falcons, Bears, and Cowboys, but in this podcast, you're only going to hear the Seahawks and the Bears. We will release the Falcons and the Cowboys at a later date, probably just a couple of days from now. Um, but just so you know, it, it'll be two separate podcasts, not all four teams like I talked about in the intro, just the Seahawks and the Bears today. Thank you so much for listening. I don't. I'm ready to hop into some discussion about the Seahawks. And All right. Uh, I got my bubble gum out so I can do my best Pete Carroll. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, the Seahawks last year, 11-5. and five. This year, they have a 9.5 over-under. Um, for wins. First, let's just start there, Dalton, real quick. Are you taking the over or the under on that win total? That's a rough one for a couple of reasons. I'm taking the over for the record. Uh, I don't like the way they run their offense, and I think they're in an incredibly tough division, and I'm going to take the under. I could see them going 9-7 and seven very easily, but they're just a few key injuries away from just being a team that doesn't hit expectations. For sure defensively yeah you can see that defense taking a step back for sure to me it's just god you get you get much you get any lower than than 10 wins it just makes me a little queasy 
counting on that with Russell Wilson as the quarterback. So I'm going to take the over. Don't feel great about it. I think that's a pretty good number, quite frankly. Um, I know I had Chris Carson first uh, on this list of guys, but I actually do want to start with Russell Wilson. Um, and I actually have most other teams. I don't have like a big question. There's no like defining question that stands out to me as much as this one. And that is, will the Seahawks finally let Russ cook? I mean, good God. The guy, he was named uh, Pro Football Focus's MVP last year. His PFF wins above replacement value, um, 4.08. For reference, Patrick Mahomes was second with 2.96. And okay, all of this is despite him only being 12th in the league in attempts, uh, total attempts, not attempts per game. For the record, uh, Mitch Trubisky was also 12th, and they, they were tied in attempts. And he made six more big time throws, which is a pro football focused stat again um, than anybody else in the league. It's not like there weren't some downs, though. Um, from weeks 10 to 16, he was QB 24. That kind of coincided with after Lockett's injury where he didn't miss any games, but had like the hospital visit. And it was a weird deal where he ended up playing again. Right after that, Dalton, I've got more to say on Russ, but I want to hear uh, some of your thoughts first before I get too deep into it. Russell Wilson is one of the most frustrating players to watch in the NFL as a fan. And it's uh, not his fault. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> Russell Wilson is a fourth quarter god, and that's only because that's when Pete Carroll decides to let him loose. The Seahawks ran the ball 44.6% of the time last season, and it was painful to watch some of those runs. Russell Wilson is a guy who when he is allowed to throw the ball deep, he's one of the best throwers in the NFL. He's pro football folks' second best deep ball thrower. He has the weapons available. And right now, his ADP in fantasy football is 60. So he's going 60th overall, which you can get him in about the fifth round. The thing with Russell Wilson is it's really difficult to draft him because he doesn't get the first three quarters to play the game. If we would get a full four quarters of Russell Wilson, he would be likely in contention for the quarterback one position in fantasy football. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, I just don't know if he's a guy worth rostering. He's a player who it's hard to watch. And if the Seahawks get ahead, they just keep pounding the ball and he gets two or three throws on a drive and then they kick a field goal. And it's not the most interesting player to watch. It's not exciting, despite the fact that he's one of the best players in the NFL today. And I don't know if Pete Carroll changes that this season and suddenly lets Russ cook. They didn't make any big changes to their coaching philosophy or schemes this offseason. I just want to talk a little bit more about how good this guy is because he is just freaking incredible. Okay, so... From Pro Football Focus Edge, Dalton, thank you for the subscription to that, by the way. He has a 64.5% completion percentage. Um, that is number 11 among 158 quarterbacks that have started at least 50 games over the past 50 years. 50 years. He's 11th in that stat. Okay. His 6% passing touchdown rate was number one last year. Number two in quarterback rating. Number four in yards per attempt. I mean, I don't know. I just want to talk a little bit about, so you mentioned the upside. I mean, I do agree with you that I'm not necessarily sure that Pete Carroll wants to play like that or even will play like that. He even just last week, actually, on an interview on 710 ESPN, which I think is a Seattle radio station, he mentioned that Russell is, he says, quote, Russell is at the best of his game that he's ever been. And in that, we want to want him to have more opportunity to be the factor of the game and control the game. But that doesn't mean you throw the football all the time to do that. So it's like, it all sounds good. And you get to the end and you just 
facepalm, right? But Russ has started to make a little bit of noise. I know right after the Super Bowl, he kind of mur- there were some murmurs about, hey, Russ wants to play more up tempo this year. I don't know if that's going to change. But Dalton, could you see a world where you know Chris Carson just isn't quite right coming off that hip? Obviously, Penny's not going to be around for a while. That ACL tear was like at the end of last season. I wouldn't expect him for at least the first four to eight games. I would imagine Clowney. I'd assume isn't going back that he still hasn't signed anywhere oddly enough, but could you see a world where they kind of end up with no choice, but Russell has to throw. I can't. I really tried to convince myself there was one Um, (laughs) pro football focus ranked the Seahawks linebacking core as the best in the NFL coming into this season. So defensively without Jadavion Clowney, they still have a pretty strong unit on the field. Uh, That can cover up some of the issues they're going to face in the secondary and with the defensive line. In addition, even if Chris Carson, who we can get to in a moment, has some issues, Carlos Hyde and DJ DJ Jalis, who was their third-round pick, are going to come in. They're going to have the guys to run the ball. And I think Pete Carroll's philosophy really border uh, comes down to it doesn't matter who's running the ball. I just don't want my quarterback throwing the ball. And the only situation where we really see Russ getting the opportunity we want him to have is when they're down in big games. And even then, if you go back and you watch the playoff game against Green Bay, Pete Carroll was intransient to do it until it was the fourth quarter, and then we finally got to see it. So I just really don't see Russell getting the opportunities we want him to see. And he's going to be one of those what-if quarterbacks, I think, when he had finished his career in the NFL. He's going to have a great career, but I think at the end of the day, they're going to be what-ifs. But I'm curious, would you take him at his current ADP in the late fifth? So, okay, at that ADP, where is he at in quarterbacks as far as quarterbacks off the board? That would put him at four. Yeah, I mean, I think I have him at QB. I think I have him at four. I have him and Deshaun at three and four. And yeah, I mean, that's about where I took him last year, quite honestly. And like I said, even though it was a little bumpy at the end, he did finish as the QB four and was really, he was QB two. And you can look at like four week stretches where he was the number one player in fantasy. So I do think he is going to have big blow up games. And although the lows might be a little bit, a little bit low, through no fault of his own he is in my opinion the second best quarterback in the nfl i i feel totally comfortable taking him and it's funny we can get to it later i feel more comfortable taking him than a guy like dak prescott even though we know the volume is going to be there for dak or at least based on what happened last year we think we know the volume is going to be there you talk about adding a receiver on top of all that but I, I still feel pretty comfortable taking Russ, even though he'll probably never be a big attempt guy. I, I just want that guy on my team, man. He's so good at football. How about you? No. <laughs> it's it's just really comes down, and we've talked about this. You, you really care a lot about a player's skill, and I care a lot about the volume. And it's just so frustrating to have a great player who's getting a low number of attempts and not being utilized appropriately. That just from, I want to enjoy fantasy football as much as I want to win. And it's really hard to enjoy fantasy football if I watch a game where Russell Wilson goes into halftime with 12 pass attempts and is tied 7-7 in a game. (laughs) Well, okay. Even like, yeah, the volume's not great, but we have to remember that everybody throws all the time in the NFL now. So even though he ranked 12th in the NFL, it's not like he's throwing the ball 18 times a game. You know, he is, I'd have to go and look at the actual averages, but I would guess he's at least 25 to 30 on average, which yeah, is low, is too low, but not like he's not at least getting some chances. Let's, let's go ahead and move in right into his weapons. Um, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. We can start with Tyler Lockett. So last year, you, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, 82 receptions for Lockett last year. He just got over a thousand yards, eight touchdowns, 
that was on 110 targets. God, that's just a ridiculous efficiency. 82 receptions on 110 targets, and that was probably even a step back from his efficiency the year before. Um, he was the wide receiver 14 in half point scoring last year. And Matt Harmon, um, reception perception, put out a couple tweets earlier today. So he was above the 95th percentile, Tyler Lockett was, against both man and press man last year. So the guy just gets open. I mean, he's he's just a stud. Um, Dalton, what, what do we think about Tyler Lockett this year? I know that after the injury, things were a little rough last year. But I mean, God, just I talked that that efficiency, that, that connection with Russell Wilson is just unmatched league wide, honestly. Well, first and foremost, I want to put some respect on Tyler Lockett's name. And here's why we're talking about the weapons Russ has. And when it comes to average draft position right now, DK Metcalf is the 36th player off the board and Tyler Lockett is the 47th off the board. Tyler Lockett is probably the most efficient player like you touched on in the NFL. And more importantly, one of the most impressive things I saw when I looked into this is that pro football focus rated him the number one deep cross route runner in the NFL, which you wouldn't expect for a guy of his stature. And he's not like he blows you off the boards with his speed. Uh, And with a quarterback like Russ, the ability to get deep on those cross routes in games where Pete Carroll's put you behind by two scores (laughs) really helps you out. Uh, and also he has the highest passer rating when target out of the slot. So you can play this guy out of the X or the Y and the slot, and he still succeeds every day. Out of the duo, if we were just doing a hypothetical, if I were to take Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf in a draft, I would much rather end up with Tyler Lockett because I think who's going to be the better performer for fantasy comes down to efficiency, and I just think he's a more efficient receiver in this offense. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned the the average draft position. Um, the fantasy pros consensus has Lockett at twenty, Metcalf at twenty four. So that that's among receivers, not overall, obviously. But a, a little more Lockett leaned than the other one, obviously. But I, I mentioned it was a little up and down after the injury. So November eleventh in Monday Night Football, he has three for twenty six against the Niners. Obviously, great defense, great team. The next day. Spends the night in the hospital with a quote serious lower leg injury, and then the next you know, weeks eleven through seventeen, he only had twenty receptions for one sixty four and two touchdowns. He only got more, only topped sixty yards receiving two times. Um, six of his first nine games were over over sixty yards. So that just shows you the drop off. I would imagine if Lockett doesn't get hurt, and even if his production doesn't keep up but he at least stays on a steady pace. I would imagine he'd be going as more of a top 12 to 15 receiver in drafts than than where he's going right now. That's just my hunch. Yeah, and I think that's probably true. And I think there's more to the story about what was wrong with Lockett than we got from the media. I do believe that that lower leg injury is more serious. But at that point, I think... Yeah, he, Seahawks, he, didn't, he didn't miss a game either, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, and the Seahawks were just in a tough push to make the postseason i mean the niners had that division locked up so they were fighting for the wild card and i think it shows a lot about his character that he even came out and played that game mm-hmm. and i mean he had i don't remember which game it was but he had a game where he just put up a straight zero i think zero 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 and there were a lot of a lot of games where he was pretty disappointing down the stretch quite frankly but we have no idea what his health was like um on to his counterpart who could not be more different stature wise and that is dk metcalf um, the guy had 58 receptions for 900 yards on 100 targets that, and also seven touchdowns there. So definitely you can see the difference in efficiency, 10 less targets, but 24 fewer receptions for Metcalf. But that's also because the, the guy 
was running a lot of slants and a lot of nine routes, a lot of a lot of verticals. Um, he was dominant on those routes, though. Again, Matt Harmon, I, I mentioned he had a tweet thread about these two earlier today. He said 53.2% of Metcalf's routes were either the slant or the nine route. And usually that's used as as a way to slight DK Metcalf. Like, oh, he can't he can't do more than that. Like he's he's a one-dimensional guy, and we kind of knew that coming out of college, but at the same time, I think we just have to acknowledge he's he's great at that. He's great at what he does. He had a 91.7% success rate on slants, which was the second best that Matt Harmon has graded in the whole NFL last year. So, I mean, and he was 74% success rate versus man and 79 uh, against press, or I got 74 against both man and man press. That is around the 80th and 85th percentile. So, you know, for me, he's a little bit limited, yes, but he's great at what he does. Dalton, what are your feelings on DK Metcalf? I know you said you'd rather have Lockett, but just in a vacuum, how do you feel about Metcalf coming into this season? I, as a player, uh, DK Metcalf is incredibly talented. And something that I think stands out to me is there's been a lot of people who've talked about how DK is inefficient at certain route running, but I agree with what you said. The Seattle offensive scheme has done well at putting him in the positions he exceeds at, running the deep routes and the nine routes, and being successful at those is what he has become in the NFL. But more importantly, he is one of the best contested catch rates in the NFL. He bodies players and DBs. Uh, But at the end of the day, I think where we're seeing him at when it comes to a fantasy football draft, he is really getting drafted near his ceiling. I think there's some recency bias with him because Tyler Lockett went down for a while and wasn't as effective that DK Metcalf looked like the player who's going to be the wide receiver one. Um, And additionally, he was the ninth highest player in the NFL last season in touchdowns. I don't know if we can expect that to continue. Although I do believe that there are two weapons on that offense that you want when it comes to receptions and it's DK and Tyler Lockett. But Mm -hmm. I can't see myself ending up with a lot of shares DK Metcalf, but that's just because he's going so high in fantasy drafts. So, okay, before I really get into a lot of that, I just wanted to ask, so we don't really know what training camp is going to look like, when it's going to happen, even at this point, there's discussions about that. But for the sake of this podcast, we're just going to assume training camp, at least in some capacity, what are you going to be like watching out for? Like, is there anything that could come out about DK Metcalf that would change your opinion on where you'd want to draft him? Or is he just, is he what he is to you? Well, and this news is past, but it really relates to this. We had a big issue previously where there was some worries that Antonio Brown was going to sign with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, since his unofficial official retirement. Yeah, from- we'll see how believable that is, but continue. But now, apparently, it looks like Josh Gordon might be available to play in this year. And if Josh Gordon were to be added to that offense, uh, I think both Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf take a major hit in fantasy because this is one of the few offenses in the NFL where three wide receivers is too many mouths to feed for consistent fantasy production. Uh, And I would be worried if they added a third big weapon like Josh Gordon. So that's my biggest concern. If I'm going into training camp and I see Josh Gordon reports week one and is eligible to play week three, those are two guys that are probably my do not draft list at that point. Yeah. Okay. So if Antonio Brown comes, that's a totally different story because I mean, we don't really know what he looks like at this point, but a guy that good, he could come back and be the best guy, best guy on their roster um, receiving wise. Again, Josh Gordon, different story for me. He hasn't really been, um, you said big weapon. He hasn't really been that for a while, at least a couple of years. 
you can kind of maybe look at one year with the Patriots and think that, but otherwise it's been pretty hit or miss, mostly miss with him in his, in his post Cleveland days. But I don't know. I, I think, I think I can only be persuaded positively from Metcalf. Like if we hear, I just talked about how I don't really care if he's a kind of one dimensional guy, but if we start hearing that he can, he can run more of the route tree. We want, we want him to start doing more stuff. Um, you know, whatever that might make me feel a little bit more comfortable or at least a little bit better about him, but I don't know. It really, the only thing that would major majorly change my opinion is if there was a lot of talk out of Seahawks camp. It's like, Oh, like they're going up tempo this year. Like, okay, this might be real. Like if that happens, then yeah, that's a whole new ball game because to me, I mean, those two guys, if they got the volume of a Goblin and Evans could come close to what a Goblin and Evans could do maybe not last year because that was an outlier but like on a normal year those two guys like i think those are pretty comparable duos if if i'm being honest but i don't know i i pete carroll is just about the most positive guy that also it's a little bit hard to believe some of the stuff you hear out of seahawks camp but you mentioned with lockett being injured at, at the end of last year and metcalf kind of maybe getting a little more shine one thing i do find encouraging about metcalf is it's not like all of his big games were after lockett was was ineffective i mean his big games were spread out throughout the season his duds were also spread out throughout the season so he was just kind of the same guy as we went on and i do think you mentioned the touchdowns i actually think that's just kind of who he is he's just such a big physical specimen i think he's just always going to be a a high touchdown guy and i can see him being a guy who ends up with nine touchdowns um it's just a sporadic metric i don't want to base my fantasy decisions on Mm -hmm. and I I'm just remiss and scared to to play with that offense where there's such a low passing volume compared to other offenses in the NFL. And additionally, I think Tyler Lockett is just the guy I want to see myself with because he can do so much more with so much less in that offense. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about one more pass catcher and Greg Olson, um, free agent acquisition. He had 52 catches for just over 500 yards and two touchdowns last year on the god-awful Panthers. That was on 82 targets. Um, the reason why I guess he's at least interesting to me is tight ends are just always productive, it feels like, in Seattle. I mean, just the guys they had, I'll get more into that in a minute, but you know, through whether it was before the injury, after the injury to, to Disley, they were productive last year at that position. And Greg Olson, while he's not the guy he once was, I don't think he's like Jason Witten, like late career Jason Witten just yet. So Dalton, are you interested at all in Greg Olson? Is he being undervalued? Is he is he a guy maybe you can see yourself taking if you go tight end like in the 14th round? Well, there's a couple of things when I look at Greg Olson that really worry me. Last year, he had the lowest yards per route run of his career. He really didn't do anything after the catch. And I know you said he wasn't Jason Witten, but a lot of the stats lean towards him being a Jason Witten type player going forward. He can't get open on the field. He looks for the short contested routes. Last year, looks like 38% of his catches were at five yards or less. So he's really just not as productive as we've seen him in the past. Uh, I know that this is an offense that really breeds tight ends, but I would be much more excited about Will Disley showing back up and playing tight end here than I would Greg Olson. Um, and last but not least, Greg Olson has been hit or miss and is going. he's 35 years old at this point, and I'm a little worried about whether or not he can play a full career in Seattle, if he can play out the rest of this year, or if he's really looking towards uh, heading towards the 
the TV booth and commentating with Jason and Tony Romo and living up the good old days. So he's a guy that I don't see myself taking. And his ADP right now is at, I think, 198th. So he's a guy that most people aren't rostering. So he's somebody who you can get later on waivers if he has a few good games against the Cardinals. So so Disley, I actually looked it up because I, I really wasn't sure when he was supposed to be ready, and I should have looked before this. He is actually expected to be ready for week one. I have my doubts. I mean, I, that dislocated hip, that's a pretty serious injury. So I guess my thinking on Greg Olson is you look at last year, um, Disley was 27 for 262 and four touchdowns in six games. Um, with the three guys who played tight end for the Seahawks last year, they were 96 targets total. That would be, if if that's one guy, that's seventh in the NFL. Um, so you could see like if Disley is out for the first two, three, four games, Greg Olson could be a guy who gets you off to a nice start at the tight end position. And then you just stream after that. Maybe you just pick up Will Disley and Disley picks up where he left off last year. Maybe that situation becomes, you know, it's not very palatable because they're both splitting time and you go elsewhere. I just think that maybe Witten could be a guy that gets you off to a solid start at that spot. And then, oh, not Witten. Not Witten. <laughs> I had in my name after you said that. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Um, I think Olsen, not Witten, not Witten. Greg Olsen, who at least has a little bit of speed still left, I think. I think Olsen could be a guy that gets you off to a strong start and uh, you figure something else out after that. But we don't have to go too much more in depth on that. That's pretty pretty late round stuff. A lot of leagues, I think that's probably going to be an undrafted guy. Um, Dalton, let's go to your guy next, Chris Carson. Uh, just over 1,200 rushing yards last year, seven touchdowns, also seven fumbles. I know you're very familiar with those seven fumbles. In 15 games, he was the RB11 last year in half point. He did have the late season hip injury. All indications are he's going to be ready for training camp that, that I've seen so far. And he did not actually have to have surgery, which I thought was a little surprising. No surgery, just a pretty major injury that healed on its own. But is the only argument against Chris Carson being a top 24 running back just worries about injury? Or is it, or is there anything else that you could see getting in his way? Well, it's a great question because historically, when you look at drafting a fantasy football running back, you want the guy who owns the backfield. You want a team that runs the ball a lot. And you want a guy who's largely successful at running the ball. And Chris Carson hits all three of those. Yeah, his ADP is 27. He's going back as the running back 15. You can get him in the late second round, early third. But last year, he had a 78 rushing grade from PFF, was fifth in the yards in the NFL, and was third in PFF's elusive rating behind two great backs, Josh Jacobs and Nick Chubb. So at the end of the day, you're looking at a guy who owns a backfield. His only competition for carries are Carlos Hyde, who seems to be coach's catnip when it comes to running the ball, but no one wants to see him run it. And DJ Dallas, who's a third-round rookie pick, who his profile fits very similar to Nick Chubb. He's just a big runner who doesn't do much else. And then Travis Homer is going to be a passing-down specialist, and we probably won't see Rashad Penny till later in the season. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, he profiles as a guy who would be wildly successful and should likely be going at the early second round, and he's not. And the reason for that is because he fumbled the ball seven times last season. Four of those were not recovered. I just really think that Chris Carson could be a guy who ends up or could end up leading the NFL in carries, defending, depending on how the Seahawks do. Um, but at the end of the day, he's somebody who I could also see myself rostering for a second straight season and <laughs> trading away five games in when I'm watching Carlos Hyde get 20 carries and Chris Carson get 10. So uh, my thing with Carson is I like him. I don't think he's a great player. I think he's okay. 
uh his running style let's just say uh, obviously the broken leg that was a totally fluke thing and that the way that happened that could have happened to anybody who got tackled like that but just in general his running style violent run over guys you're not really uh that's just that's just kind of his style and that and he's not the biggest guy like he's big but he's not like derrick henry big you know so i just think that his running style doesn't really lend itself to a long career in the nfl quite frankly and one thing that concerns me you look at the carries 247 and 278 back-to-back seasons and that is he had the broken leg his rookie year and then he had the major hip injury uh this last year so he's got some mileage. He's got the injuries. He was top 10 in carries in each of those seasons. Do you know how many other guys have been top 10 in carries in the NFL each of the last two seasons? I don't. Todd only, Gurley. Only three. Can you name any of those three players? I'll give you three guesses. Leonard Fournette. Nope. Last two seasons. Yep. Just Joe, the last Joe two Mixon. seasons. Joe Mixon is one. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. Nope. I'll give you one more guess. Le'Veon Bell. Nope. So Ezekiel Elliott and Christian McCaffrey are the only other guys along with Joe Mixon who have been top 10 in carries in each of the last two seasons. So when you couple the volume just with the running style, I don't know. I'm just not ending up with Carson a whole lot this year. I'm just a little bit worried about how he looks when he comes back and how long it lasts. That That's just me personally. So I want to play the name game with a couple of guys around him in the fantasy pros rankings and mm-hmm. see if you would take them over him. Leonard Fournette. Oh, boy. See, I don't have my rankings in front of me, so I don't know who I have ranked higher. I think I would take Chris Carson, but I would feel pretty gross about that and probably just go wide receiver if those are like my two top backs available james connor i would still take chris carson over james connor that one hurts uh melvin gordon i take melvin gordon pretty easily i think and Lave bell i would take Le'Veon bell pretty easily as well all right i think i have chris carson like in the 19 range fournette fournette and uh connor both a little bit behind and then gordon and bell more in like the mid mid to late teens if memory serves at least that's interesting dalton um anybody anybody else anything else on the seahawks before we move on they'll probably be the team we go the longest on i think they were by far the most interesting and quite frankly just have by far the most variance depending on what what their coaching staff decides to do no i don't think i have much left on the seahawks um i looked into it i do i think i'm gonna move chris carson up in my rankings after looking at him but that's about all i came away with that little research Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I might do the same with both Lockett and and Metcalf. Um, probably pretty slightly, but we'll see. It's just kind of a cluster when you get to receiver in that range. Honestly, um, we'll move on to the Bears. Um, so the Chicago Bears last season eight and eight. Their twenty twenty over under. This was interesting. This was at exactly eight. So you can push this one. Um, Dalton, real quick, over under on this one. Under. Under. See, I'm taking the over. I just. I think last year was hat like that was just like the floor. I feel like for that roster, I feel like they're in for a little bit of a bounce back, but but that's just me, I guess. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, God, just a disaster of a season. They brought in Nick Foles. Um, this really only matters in context of their weapons because unless you're in a super deep uh, flex, super flex league, you aren't drafting whoever their starting quarterback is for any purposes. Maybe you stream one of them later in the season, but not relevant right now. And I think the guy this is most relevant for Dalton would be Allen Robinson. So last year, even with just the dog crap he had at quarterback and Mitch Trubisky, he racked up 98 receptions for 
almost 1,150 yards and seven touchdowns. That was wide receiver 12. No other player on their roster had more than 700 yards receiving. And as I mentioned, that situation, that was like as bad as it can get almost last year. I mean, Trubisky was was very bad. Chase Daniel know better when he had the sub in form. So can Robinson repeat what he did last year with hopefully a better situation this time around? Well, when I started researching on Robinson, I was big on him, and I still am big on him. I think he's going to be a great receiver, and he could hit value very easily this year. He's going at wide receiver, or he's going at an ADP of 27. So early third round is where a lot of people are getting him. And I think some people, including Evan Silva, have him ranked as high as wide receiver four. So he's a guy that a lot of people believe in. He had the 12th best receiving grade in the league. And like you said earlier, he had career highs in targets at 154. He had 98 receptions. He also had a catch rate of 64%, which is really great to hear considering that PFF ranked 36 of the passes sent his way as uncatchable targets because Mitch Trubisky is a quarterback who can't throw to one side of the field. Some of them were really uncatchable too. I watched a three-minute video of Allen Robinson getting past his defenders and the ball missing Allen Robinson. (laughs) So he is certainly a guy who's exciting to watch. He had a low drop rate of 3% last season, which was 11th best in the NFL. The big question mark is, is what Nick Foles are we going to get? Because Nick Foles has two of the highest graded PFF games ever with the Eagles. He also has six of the top 10 worst grades with the Eagles. So he is as hot, as cold as it can get. But I do think the quarterback is going to improve. Allen Robinson is a guy that I wouldn't mind being my wide receiver one at the end of the day. And he's somebody who is a successful wide receiver who has never gotten a good quarterback. And you have to feel for the guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, If I'm him, I'm almost hoping the Bears don't offer a long-term contract so I can find myself <laughs> a better quarterback. Um. So for me, I think Allen Robinson, I think he can easily repeat what he did last year, at least be in that neighborhood. Um, he's, it's not going to be a sexy pick when you pick him. It's no one in your draft is going to be like, oh man, what a great pick. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to deliver on that draft position. I think he's a pretty safe um, guy to draft, if I'm being honest. And I don't know, he might get slightly more efficient. You mentioned some of those uncatchables. I think he might see less targets, more efficiency similar production but to me i don't really think that rob you know robinson i think he kind of is what he is nothing is going to change my mind to me there are a couple of swing pieces on this bears offense i actually want to go with Tariq cohen next i think cohen is the most interesting guy on this offense to me probably more so than miller just because of the position he plays and the value he can bring but so cohen last year had 213 yards rushing, just 64 carries, which was like 35 fewer than the year before. No touchdowns. He had 79 receptions for 456 yards. That is a lot of receptions, not a lot of yards. Three touchdowns. Um, The year before that, he was 71 receptions for 725 and five touchdowns. And he was the RB13 that year compared to RB37 last year. Also five five receiving touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns. Is there a world where you see him getting back to um, a similar type of efficiency that he, that he had two years ago? Well, it's interesting. Two years ago, Pro Football Focus rated Tariq Cohen as the 32nd best receiver in yards after the catch. 
yet he, like you said, he ended up as RB13 and really outproduced what the stats were saying. And I think what we saw last year was a regression back to the Tariq Cohen we should expect in the future. Well, and before I forget, I just want to add his longest play from scrimmage last year was 31 yards. And I think he had four plays over 40 and a couple over 60 the year before. And I think the real truth is somewhere in between. Yeah. Well, he was last year he averaged a career low 4.7 yards per touch. So that includes receptions and running the ball. In addition, Pro Football Focus rated him as one of the least efficient kick returners in the NFL. He ranked 26th in the NFL. Uh, I don't really think Tariq Cohen is a guy who I would be rostering. And it's funny that he's your most interesting player on the Bears because I actually think that his counterpart in the backfield, David Montgomery, who equally is not that sexy of a pick, Mm -hmm. could be the bigger value there. Oh, he could definitely be the bigger value for sure. If he's able to push into Tariq Cohen's uh, target share of 104. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Tariq Cohen's running back 13 season was on the eight touchdowns he scored and a little bit on the back of a quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, who somehow had a stellar season despite everything saying he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and unless there's a major offensive upgrade, which I don't see happening, I don't think Tariq Cohen's going to be a, a great value to your roster. So Tariq Cohen's season to me just kind of sums up the Bears offense as a whole last year. You look at week one. I don't know if you guys remember this. This was the first game of the season, Bears at Packers, that Thursday night game where I don't remember the final score, but the Bears, I don't think, had a touchdown until the end of the game. Maybe they never scored one. I don't know, but it was bad. Um, He ended up with 40 plays out of the slot, like slot receiver, compared to just um, seven times as a wide receiver. So 47 plays as a wide receiver and four plays as a running back. By the end of the season, he was 62% of his snaps were out of the backfield, 26% out of the slot. The rest of those were out wide. So it just seems like either they ditched their plan early or they didn't have a good plan for Tariq Cohen last year. And I I don't know what to make of that, quite frankly. I don't know if you're going to see him in the backfield more this year. I don't know if it's good or bad if he's not in the backfield more this year. I just don't know. There's just so much unknown with him, and I just think it's so funny. You look at that first game, and it's just so unlike the rest of the season. It, I don't know. It's just so bizarre. I just, And I remember thinking, I remember after that game, it was like Tariq Cohen, like wide receiver now? Like like what? Like what's going on here? So I don't know. Just, just a weird season for him. He is in a contract season. Again, I don't really like to use that as an argument, but he's talked about it. He definitely does. He's a guy that he's at least done it before, and to get a good contract, he's going to have to do it again or be better than last year. So he's got the motivation. He himself has said that he didn't take care of his body last year, and that's not necessarily diet-wise. That's like he says he's doing yoga now. Like He wasn't doing what he needed to do to keep his body feeling good throughout the season. So maybe he's learned some lessons from last year. And also, I... For those who don't know, I actually I lived in Iowa for the first half of the NFL season last year, and so I saw a lot of Bears games. And God, it just seemed like there That's were a, there were a lot of games where I'd look up at the TV and it's like Tariq Cohen's catching the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage on a swing pass, and he's got three guys in his face already. It's like I just feel like he was used so weirdly and so badly, and I would expect that to improve this year. And just the upside is intriguing. I don't think RB13 is in the picture. But if you get a guy in the late RB30s who ends up being RB24, like that's great. That's great. But it's just, God, he had such a weird year. Okay, I don't want to talk about Tariq Cohen anymore. It makes my head hurt, quite frankly. We can move on to David Montgomery. Dalton, 
he, as you mentioned, could could really be the, the bigger value or at least the more important guy in that backfield for fantasy this year. He had 242 carries, so that's good. 889 yards and six touchdowns. Not huge in the passing game, but you know, good enough. 25 for 185 and one touchdown. That was good for RB25. He was 13th in the NFL on carries, so he obviously didn't cash that in quite as well as some others around him. But obviously that offense as a whole was bad. Even though I thought Montgomery was a little underwhelming at times last year, I did really like him coming out of Iowa State. He is consensus on Fantasy Pros RB24 right now. Do you think that's about right? Should he be any higher? What Where, where do you see him entering the season? And what's his upside to you if everything kind of hits? Well, it's interesting because the player we saw at Iowa State and David Montgomery was elusive between the tackles and he got into space. The David Montgomery we saw in Chicago last year in his first season was not that player. He was 48th in the NFL among 50 qualified backs in PFF's yard after contact per carry at 2.33. He was 29th out of 45 qualifiers in Football Outsiders' rushing success rate, and that was behind the 25th ranked offensive line. So he was not successful between the tackles where he makes his money. He's one of the few guys that you're betting on a sophomore resurgence to his college days. In addition, if the coaching staff and Matt Nagy are unhappy with the way Treat Cohen utilizes his receptions, David Montgomery is a guy who caught the ball at Iowa and can catch the ball at the NFL. If he gets that receiving upside, he's a player who could crack the top 24 running backs. And if you're getting him in the seventh and eighth round, when some of the other guys available are committee players who aren't even getting the first and second down duties, it's it's not as sexy of a pick. But he's a guy who has a clear pathway to carries and has the upside of getting a couple of receptions a game. And most importantly, if we see the college David Montgomery this year, he'd be a lot more successful in the Bears offense. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned the volume with him, and it's funny. The fantasy footballers, um, they actually coined the nickname David Mopportunity for him before the season last year. And that kind of came to fruition, even though it didn't really produce what we wanted on the field. Would it surprise you if I told you that he had 40 more carries than Mark Ingram last year? It would. I mean, that I could not believe that when when I saw that. I, I think he's a guy that you can count on that volume. Um, and again, that he did play one more game than Mark Ingram, but he did not start only but like half the season and was really sharing with some other guys for a decent part of the year. It As I talked about earlier with Mixon, it is tough to predict offensive line play on a year-to-year basis. Uh, the Bears by PFF are ranked 25th after last season coming into this. I guess not coming into this season, but after last season, they were the 25th best offensive line per PFF. Would not be shocking to see them improve. For what it's worth, they were fringe top 10 in 2018, and PFF has them 22nd coming into this year. And they do have uh, Cody Whitehair, who you'll love this, Dalton, uh, center, 11th among interior interior offensive linemen with an 80.8 PFF grade as a run blocker since 2016. Had to throw a little center stat in there for the center whisperer, Dalton Willie. But I think Montgomery, to me, he's a guy that I don't think I've taken in any mock drafts. But the more I think about it, it's like, you know, if my draft falls where I end up with a receiver in one of my first two or three picks, he's a guy that I could see myself taking and hoping that volume turns into a, a top, 20 season i don't think that's out of play 
Yeah. I'll, uh, I, my bad. Um, I was really high on David Montgomery last year just because of all the hype from his college days. And I believe like the OC, Matt Nat Nagy, was like really hyping up saying David Montgomery's the one. Uh, I remember trying to trade for him with uh, Justin. And he said, no way. Uh, I'm, I'm locking this guy down. Only guy I would consider would be if you give up Michael Thomas. <laughs> and uh, that was the last conversation me and Justin had had. Yeah, uh, I, David Montgomery, I think he was a guy that maybe it's just because I follow Chiefs fans and people wanted the Chiefs to take him in the mid-rounds. But you kind of saw the Kareem Hunt comparison get thrown out there, and that's not what we saw last year. But obviously still early in his career, plenty of time to get that turned around, doll and anything else. Or can we move on to, to Anthony Miller? I know he's one that you want to talk about. No, we can jump into Anthony Miller just real briefly. Um mm-hmm. He was a guy that before this, when we were talking about it, I wanted to talk about. And he's a guy that when I looked into it, I don't really care to talk about him that much. Really? Um, Last season, he had 52 catches for 656 yards. Both of them were higher than he had the previous season, but he also scored five fewer touchdowns. Um, And he didn't clear 70 yards receiving until week 12. So with the departure of Taylor Gabriel, there are going to be more targets available in Chicago. And he is the clear-cut wide receiver, too. Uh, at the end of the day, I just think the Chicago coaching scheme is going to rely on the defense. They're going to want to slow games down. And I don't see Anthony Miller producing a lot of games that I'm excited about to roster him. Right now he's going overall um, at an ADP of 115, and I don't really see myself even rostering him that high. There are players I'd rather take before that. Interesting, because I was pretty lukewarm on talking about him, and you were the opposite, and now we're the opposite. Um, just a couple, just a couple quick things on him, and then we can move on to the Falcons. So it's actually funny. Actually, three things. Number one, if you Google Anthony Miller, one of the first things that you'll see is a Bleacher Report story why Anthony Miller could be NFL surprise twenty twenty breakout wide receiver. So there's that. Um, weeks eleven through fifteen last year, he was thirty three receptions for four thirty one and two touchdowns. I don't know the touchdowns thing. I don't really know what to make of it. I mean, he's a pure slot guy. I think. But he did lead college football with 18 touchdowns. Obviously, that's at Memphis. It's in Conference USA, a whole different ball game. But still, I think he's going to get a lot of one-on-one coverage. You know, has got a lot of one-on-one coverage, I should say, or with a Rob. So that helps. And really, the main thing that at least piques my interest more than I thought was the Nick Foles and slot receivers argument, or you know, stats or whatever, however you want to phrase it. In 2018 with Philly. Um, Nick Foles, 70.9% of his wide receiver passes were to slot receivers. Um, Anthony Miller was about 82% of the time lined up in the slot last year. That's per football outsider. So, I mean, just again, that's not exactly one plus one equals two, but that's just to say that based on Nick Foles, based on his tendencies, and obviously what we know of Miller as a player, you would think maybe he might have more opportunity, and he's at least a guy that I am willing to take that late flyer on and cut bait if nothing's happening through a couple of weeks. Yeah, and I, I, I see all of that. I just don't want to be invested in the Bears' offense overall. <laughs> uh, if I'm invested in their passing game, I would rather have somebody like me, Cole, late mm-hmm. in the draft like that. Who sure. I know. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree there. But I think that about says it, unless we want to jump into the death by tight end. Mm-hmm. I agree. And before we end, I just have to say Kevin Stefanski. Okay. Oh. I think I think we're good to end the podcast now, right? I think we're good. We got our Kevin <laughs> Stefanski in. If you're okay, good. you want to come on, let us know, Kevin. 
Good. Yep, Kevin, let us know. Shoot, shoot us a text. Shoot us an email. Um, you know where to find us. Um, that is going to do it for episode four of the Half Point Per Podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you're not already, at Half Point Per Pod. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd love to read them if you leave them. Thanks so much, guys. See you next week.